In today's episode, we're going to be talking to someone who's already left their fingerprint on the coaching industry. He's written books that have sold over a million copies, including The Coaching Habit, which might give you a hint as to who this might be. He's one of the most genuinely nice and kind people this industry gets to embrace. And he's impacted millions of lives through his speaking, his programs, and his now more than 20 years in this industry, Mr. Michael Bungay Stanier. Welcome to the UpCoach Podcast for modern coaches and creators with your host, Todd Herman. In 20 minutes or less, our goal is to share one big idea that will transform your coaching and your business. So let's get into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the UpCoach Podcast. And today we do have the man, Michael Bungay Stanier, or MBS to those that know him and don't know him. <laughs> MBS, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. You know what? There aren't many people who actually pronounce my full name correctly. You did it perfectly. And partly why I put out MBS as an option for people is people get really intimidated by my surname of Bungay Stanier. In fact, I once got a letter addressed to Michael Banging Spaniel, which I knew then <laughs> that this was going to be a problem. So I'm not the guy who's running Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I'm not the Melbourne Business School. My friends call me Michael. And my friends also call me MBS as well. So it's nice to be here, Todd. It's one of those great sources of self-esteem for me is I try to really work hard at pronouncing everyone's. It's, I've been lucky enough to live and coach and work in 80 plus countries. And I really try to work hard at pronouncing people's names. And when I get it wrong, whatever I learned. But <laughs> all right. So before we get into the question for everybody, just quickly, who do you typically work with MBS? What is your clientele? You know, you've got a few great books that are out there, The Coaching Habit, The Advice Trap, et cetera. But when did you get into this world of like coaching and leading other people and who do you typically work with? Yeah, I'd say I have two types of clients and I have two different companies to do that. So about 20 years ago, a little longer now, I founded a company called Box of Crayons. And Box of Crayons is an enterprise training company. We work with big companies, you know, typically in the Fortune 1000 and we roll out large-scale training to help managers and leaders be more coach-like. So I think probably the, the client we can most boast about is Microsoft. You know, Satya Nadella, changing the culture from a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture. Our program has gone through tens of thousands of people, helping them become more curious managers and leaders as they work. So that's a big part, and I spent many years doing that. Mm -hmm. But all through those 20 years, I was also writing newsletters that were more in the self-help, self-growth area. I was a bit conflicted because I like working with individuals, even as my clients were bigger organizations. So three years ago, I stopped being the CEO at Box of Crayons, handed it off to somebody way more competent than I am, and started a new little company, MBS.Works, and we work with individuals. So we help people unlock their own greatness and we help people unlock other people's greatness. So this tends to be people at a crossroads in their life, often people in their 50s or people in their mid-30s or people in their mid-20s or moments of choice where you're like, is this how I'm going to be an adult or is this how I'm going to be an adult? And also people in smaller organizations who have a manager or a leadership role and they're like, how do I do this thing? Because working with people is hard. Oh, and, and coaches. Like I serve a lot of coaches because I'm a 
I'm a medium-sized fish in that particular pond. Yeah, you, you've written one of the top best-selling books of all time with the word coach in it. <laughs> I have. With The Coaching Habit, which is a must-read for everybody. It's a miracle. And, and it was self-published, which makes it even more miraculous. Yeah. Anyone who knows the publishing space, gang, Michael has made more money off of his book than I would have because I went traditional publishing. You don't have to agree so quickly, though. He nodded his head if you're, if you're not watching and you're just listening. I'm doing that $100 bill thing where I'm going to like... Which... Making it rain. <laughs> All right. So to bring it back down to like this act of coaching and being better at it, yeah. because it's the thing I'll do for the rest of my life. I'm so grateful that I was able to get involved in it at a young age. And I just think that we hold this great power and ability to help transform people. So in your experience, what would be that one, you know, there's many things, but what would be one thing that you could share with everybody that really helped to transform your coaching skills or your coaching relationship that you've had with all of these clients and customers over the years? Yeah. So this is, and I like that you're saying with all my clients and customers, because this is an insight and a, a practical tool that I'm going to share that I use not just with the people I've coached, but with key clients, with key people on my team, with Shannon, who runs Box of Crayons, with Ainsley, who does most of the work at MBS.Works. This is an essential foundational tool I use with every relationship that matters to me. And so I'm going to start a little abstract and I'm going to come down to a really practical single question that I think is helpful for people. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is this, you should talk about how you work together before you get into the what you're going to be working on. And the what you work on always seems shinier and brighter and more urgent and more interesting because you, know, you get hired as a coach and they're like, this is my problem. And, you know, in the coaching habit, one of the first questions is, so what's the real challenge here for you? It's actually focused on let's try and figure out what's going on. But I'm going to suggest that you take a beat and you say, look, before we jump into this, Todd, let's you and me talk about how we work well together. And the next level down on this, I would say, is make a commitment to build the best possible relationship with the person with whom you're working. And the best possible relationship is safe and it's vital, meaningful of life, and it is repairable. And of those three, safe, vital, repairable, repairable is the one that people are least experienced with, least comfortable with. So here's the one thing, the one question that I think has been such a significant change for me to enable my relationships to be safe, vital, and repairable, to build the best possible relationships with my key people. The question is this, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said? And I will ask that not in every single conversation, but on a regular basis, particularly when we're in that kind of, we're trying to figure some stuff out together, particularly when I'm worried whether my power in the relationship, because I often have the balance of the power because I'm the founder, because I'm straight white man because I'm confident because <laughs> all of that, it allows other people the space to say the thing that they haven't yet been able to say. And so many times it's brought forward something that we might have stepped over that we don't step over that allows us to repair something or, or preemptively sort something out or in some way fix something that might be otherwise overlooked. I love that because it allows you to create another window into the context of how that person might be 
thinking or seeing things, which is always one of the hardest parts of any communication because I've got my words in my head and my understanding. I'm trying to unpack them through my language, giving them to you. And it's now going to form a picture in your head. And exactly. hopefully it's the same zebra in your head. It is in my head, <laughs> but oftentimes it's not. That's right. That's a really great, what have been some of the responses that you've had over the years that were surprising to you? Yeah. I think one of the responses that has been most encouraging for me, and it happened recently with somebody on my team, where she's like, Michael, I think I need to tell you some things that haven't yet been said. And it was a conversation around compensation and how has she been feeling around that. And on the one hand, I'm like, ah, I'm frustrated that we've got to this place where it's only just coming up, but delighted that there was a door that she could knock on and say, this is the thing that I probably should have said six months ago and it's been building up and I've been feeling this sense of resentment. Mm. But part of the power of the framing of her starting with that question, Todd, was it didn't feel like an attack. It didn't feel like I need to be defensive about it. It didn't feel like an unthoughtful eruption on her part. It gave me warning to say here's something that's been hard to say that i've got some heat around some emotion around and it helped me in the two three seconds in which she said here's something that needs to be said that hasn't yet been said for me to set myself to hear what was really being said in a really powerful way you know back in the early days when i had a boss i'd agreed with dave that when we were in a frustrating moment we could say to each other i need to have it off my chest and then off my chest was like, you pissed me off in some way, and I just need to vent. And I don't need you to solve it. And I don't need you to justify it. And I don't need you to fix it particularly. I just need to be heard. And this ability to frame a conversation so that the other person is able to be present and to listen and not be reactive is really powerful. And in this case, that was a really helpful framing for me to be present to what needed to be said. Yeah. I mean... Isn't so much of this process of trying to coach or lead or help or support other people anyway, it's finding ways to get your ego out of the way? <laughs> oh, so much. It's like this willingness to stay in service to the other person. And sometimes getting your ego out of the way means being quiet, but sometimes it also means speaking up, Todd. You know, one of the kind of profound lessons I learned early on when I was coaching is that I would convince myself that the better thing to do would not be to confront a client because of I'd make up some reason how I was you know, helping them or being kind to them or being supportive about them. But when I really looked at it, I was like, no, I'm just scared of that confrontation. I don't know how to say it and I'm worried about their reaction and I'm worried about getting it wrong. I'm worried about me, in other words. And I'm like, look, I want the relationship I have with the people I work with to be fierce love. Love meaning I am 100% committed to their greatness and helping them thrive and be the best version of it. Fierce meaning I'll do what it takes to do that in a respectful way. And that means loving them when I need to love them. It means getting out of their way when I'm in their way. It means having a fierceness if that's what's required. What I love about what you've shared so far I mean, you're at the top of this game of coaching. You're never done getting better because there's always a false summit there. There's always more that we can get better at. <laughs> but to someone who's listening, who might be early or they're in the mid, you know, they've been in this for a few years. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I always say coaching is really about kind of three things. 
encouragement, accountability, and progress. Because someone came to you because they need to transform. That's progress. Like we have to be getting progress. But we also have to be noticing progress because sometimes they're not getting the result like in the tangible physical world yet, but they are making shifts at the mental. Like their thinking is different now. They're asking us different questions now. Absolutely. They might be emotionally showing up different in their world. So that's another progress point that you need to point. Because again, human beings do not do a good job of stacking their own wins. Yeah. Teresa Ramavale's work on this is really great. The progress principle. She's like, yes, make small progress and meaningful work generates happiness and contentment. So part of your job as a coach is to notice and articulate and have them notice and articulate small progress on stuff that matters. Yeah. And so going back to the encouragement side of things then is, I think that's a natural thing for most coaches. I think it's very much baked into the persona or the pipe type person who's attracted to this kind of work. I agree. Leading in general is they're good encouragers, but that middle one of accountability is where most people will under index. And that's what you were kind of unpacking because of the, I don't want to be unkind or I want to be nice or they're scared of the conflict of it all. And that is really, if you can master that accountability side of things and accountability, not in the sense of like shaming, but like, no, you came to make this transformation or this change or to develop this skill or to finish this project, whatever the coaching is around. And it's going to be really hard to retain customers and clients if you can't get them to results. And so I'm I'm glad that you were unpacking that. And I think, This ties in with where I started, which is to say, you want to have a conversation about how you work together before you jump into the conversation about what you're working on. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics to have a conversation about is how will we make accountability work? What does me supporting you in accountability look like and sound like and feel like? Yeah. And how will you let me know if I'm letting you down around supporting you in the way you want to be supported? And How will I let you know when you're slipping on your commitments? How will we do that in a way that feels helpful and useful and safe and vital for both of us? Because one of the reasons people get slippery around that accountability piece with their clients is they haven't actually had a conversation with them around this is how to do it. So they're like, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, I'm going to damage the relationship. I'm going to tear the fabric. Maybe they'll fire me. Yeah. So maybe I'll just pretend it's not happening and we'll just be in this kind of codependent relationship. I'm like, talk about it up front and then you have permission to keep talking about it. That whole frame of how are we going to work together runs completely counter, Michael, to a lot of the white noise that's out there that people are taught about how to build or scale your coaching business. I mean, like you, I started in very much different industries. Mine was in the sports industry, and, and then it went into the corporate market. And so now I happen to have things that are online, as you do as well. Yep. And I serve a lot of people that are in the kind of online ecosystem of coaching. And they're often told, always sell the transformation, like give them the what, and you spend very little time on logistics. Right, And that might work at some level of cohort-based thing. But when you're working with people in a deeper relationship, like one-on-one, I'm like you, I spend a lot of time on the how. And it's like, how do you want to be worked with? And that's even the designing of the program as well. Like, I mean, I've got in my head and not even in my head, but it's in a sheet. There's this menu of things that I could work with people through and, hey, like I really want daily support. I'm like, okay. And for me, that's just going to increase probably the rate of what you'll be paying. But 
a lot of people never get asked that question of how do you want me to work with you to make this happen? Yeah. I also think it can go beyond just a one-to-one relationship as well. Like I'm designing a piece of training at the moment and we're working really hard at thinking about what the onboarding experience is because you know one of the questions I'm asking people to answer for themselves is how will you be slippery and collude to avoid finishing this training? Because we've all signed up for training, particularly digital training, particularly self-directed digital training. Where we're like, I bought the thing. Buying the course is almost the same as doing the course. Totally the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, hopefully the, the knowledge will somehow just move from the digital file into my brain. I've said to the people who we're co-creating this with, success is people finishing this course. And so when I film this right up front, I'm like, success is you finishing this course. I've structured this course. I've done all the tricks to try and get you to move through it and get across the finish line. And you will get slippery at some stage. You will find a reason for you to not do the next lesson. So what is that? And how do you need to mitigate around that now? Yeah. Because you want to finish the course as well. We all want you to finish the course. How can we do that? And so even though this is a digital experience, even though this is a pre-recorded experience, I'm still talking about how we're going to work together for the best possible result here. So can I give you a tip on that? Yeah, please. Okay. So one of the things I like to do now in our training programs is break up the style of media that I record with. Nice. So there's the training ones where it could be like in the proper setting or like, you know, at the desk and you're doing the the teaching. But when it comes to like that encouragement and that kind of challenger type content, it's typically going to be me with my iPhone. And I'm just like, I agree. And it's super up close. And it's like, Hey, let's have a quick little side conversation before we jump into the next module. Yeah. There's a little slippery part of you that wants (laughs) to not click through right now. I totally agree. That is a fantastic idea. I've been thinking about doing something just like that. I've got three different types of content I'm thinking about. One is a kind of three camera set up in a studio, which is like the teaching modules. One is this kind of handheld, intimate, you, me, on the run, you know, come on, man, let's get this done. And then I've got this little avatar cartoon character as well. So we're going to create a little one-minute snips of being delivered, which is more of a, here's a one-liner you want to take away and remember because this is... It's a snappy because I think this is a kind of a different point that we're making here. But if you're a teacher, a facilitator, a coach, one of the things you're managing is the energy in the arc of the experience. Like when I'm keynoting or when I'm facilitating a half day course, I'm like, part of my responsibility is to move people through an arc and get them to the end. Yeah. And so I need the energy to shift because if it's all the same note the whole time, that's exhausting. It needs texture. It needs difference in the pacing and in the energy because that's what allows people to keep moving through it. So when you design, and this is true when you're coaching as well, in a single coaching conversation, it's like, how do you create texture and tone and variation in the way that you coach so that people have this different experience of the energy it ebbs and it flows it's quiet it's loud it's fast it's slow it's provocative it's gentle all of these are different textures you can introduce into an experience that will keep people more engaged you're such a master at this i love talking to people who've been in this industry for 
as long as I've been kicking around too. <laughs> oh, man, I've just had a haircut. And we were talking this before you hit record, and I'm like, this is great because we were going to record a bit earlier and we, we weren't able to do it, and I've had a haircut since. But I was sitting there talking to Dawn, my hairdresser, and I'm like, there is so much white hair on this cow. Where's it all coming from? I am a young man, damn it. I'm like, she's like, Michael, you're just not a young man anymore. You're, you're delusional. Well, I was working with our video editor on something and we were splicing together a couple of clips on something that was recorded a few years ago and one that was recorded <laughs> just a little bit ago. And he's like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work because you've got more white in the front part of your beard, Todd. And so I was like, don't shame me. Just put it together. And we won't, I wouldn't have even noticed it if you didn't mention it. So it is what it is. Yeah. Your hairline is one of those time-lapse photos of glaciers. They're like, it's, it's retreating faster than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you are an absolute champion. I could talk to you for hours. Thanks, Todd. This has been such fun. I just love the intention of that, of the question that you're giving people. Can you just one more time unpack for people those three things that you think are critical to developing that strong relationship? Because I hadn't heard that before. I haven't heard you say that before. And I just think it's a great frame. So I'll start broad and I'll end on that single question. The starting point is commit to a conversation about how we'll work together before or ongoing as you work on the stuff together. In other words, a conversation about how are we doing working together? If you do that, you can set as a goal for yourself a best possible relationship. So it's like this relationship has a certain degree of potential. How do we get as close to it as possible? And the three attributes of that are it's safe, it's vital, life, adventure, bravery, and it's repairable, it's fixable. Mm. And of those three, safe, vital, and repairable, repairable is the one that people are least experienced in. And I think a question that often unlocks a conversation that helps with repair and preemptively prevents damage is what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there's the judge's gavel coming down on the table. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. Michael, you're a champion. Thank you so much for joining and uh, we'll definitely have you back. Thank you, Todd. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the UpCoach podcast with your host, Todd Herman. I hope you got a lot of value from today's episode. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when we drop our next episode every week. Just type in the UpCoach podcast in the search and click the subscribe button on your favorite listening platform and a review, a little snar rating, wouldn't hurt. And finally, all the show notes, tips, links shared, and the transcript is over at upcoach.com slash podcast, where you can also get your free trial for our modern transformation platform specifically built for coaches and creators that care. The UpCoach podcast is produced by our friends at Ventures FM. Now that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. And of course, keep on coaching.